Revelation chapter 22, this morning, with God's help, we will be um, considering particular verses within verses 10 through 15. Um, we are saving the, the sayings or words of Christ for um, one particular sermon, and maybe a few, but we will be dealing with verses within, uh, I'm sorry, 8 through 15, yes, 8 through 15. Uh, we will not be specifically dealing with uh, the words of Christ in 12 through 13, so we're not going to um, exegete those per se, um, and we will save those for another time. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. This is God's faithful and true word. Verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and I heard, and, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the, of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy, and the one who is righteous still be righteous, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Verse 12, behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates of this into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word, now to the preaching of his word. Let us pray. <clears throat> Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask now for your grace to hear, to understand, to believe, and to obey. Dear Lord, help us to examine ourselves, Lord, as you examine us through your word. Lord, I decrease that you may increase. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, good morning, saints of God. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our uh, worship through the Apocalypse of John. We are now ear, uh, nearing the end of our worship through this Apocalypse of John. And here in the last chapter... God gives the apostle and prophet, we made that case last week, exhortations, final exhortations for the church to heed as we wait for the blessed day when all things will be made new. Last Lord's Day, we received familiar exhortations. We were reminded of our, of the trustworthiness of God's word and our responsibility uh, not only to be hearers of God's word, but to be doers of God's word. The word of the Lord is a lamp to our feet and a light that guides our path home. The word of the Lord, we learned, assimilates us to the divine persons who have made their home within those who have been foreloved. We are being changed. We are being assimilated, we are being transformed, and, and at the same time, we are also being perfected. We are being made ready. As a bride is made ready for the arrival of her groom, we are being perfected. 
we are being deified. We are being made ready to see God face to face. No one who is not holy will not see God. We are being made ready or holy so that we might see God. We are holy. We are being made holy and we will be holy so that we might see God face to face. Every sin is right now being removed. Every stain is right now being washed out. Every wrinkle is even now being pressed. There will be no flaw in us. There will be no sin in us. There will be no stain upon our soul when we arrive home. When we reach the finish line. What is the finish line? What is the goal? What is the prize? God is the prize. Uh, I, I have become more and more convinced as I have surveyed the scriptures that heaven and the new creation are simply this, the beatific vision. The details that are given to us throughout the scriptures are simply detailing God and his people. And there shall be nothing lacking or wanting in us when we behold him. I say that because when we think about heaven and a new creation, we often, I'll give you an example of my daughter, we often ask, well, will this be here or will that be here? As if when we see God, there will be something lacking after we see him. There won't be an after we see him. There will be an eternally beholding him. My daughter asked me when we talked about this, well, can I still have my toys? And that sometimes is our response when we think about God. We say in a more grown up way, can I still have my toys? It's why when people think about heaven, they say, will there be golf there? I hope so. Will there be a, I'm not saying I hope so. They're saying I hope so. Will there be baseball there or for whoever? Will there be whatever your toy is there? The answer is no. The answer is God is there and he will be everything that you ever need. He will satisfy. He will make you happy. He will fill you with joy. There will be you will be so filled with joy that there will be no room for anything wanting or lacking in, in you from God. He allows us to know him absolutely perfectly lacking nothing as far as a human goes to know. And we will find eternal delight in God, in God. If you were to ask me, what, what would be your toy, Pastor Antonio? It would be food. I love sweets. I was hungry the other day and rather than thinking about a steak, I wanted a cake. There won't be cake there. God will satisfy me even greater and more than cake does. Our exhortation was this, trust and obey. Trust that God's word is trustworthy and true and obey it, which is followed by what seems to be now a strange command from the angel. Here, here it is. You might have heard it or seen it when we were reading. Verse 11, let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Verse 11, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Oh, now this is strange. What is this so-called command? Today, with God's help, we shall hear again familiar things. As we are called to, here it is, to tell the truth. A title for the sermon, to tell the truth. And that is to examine ourselves and to see if we are in the faith. And may God grant us grace to hear and obey one point for us today, just one, to tell the truth. 
And I put on there a, a slash self-examination. To tell the truth or self-examination. Revelation verses 8 through 11. Here, towards the end of this book of visions, the apostle prophet John verifies that he indeed is the one who has heard and seen all of these things. His reaction to the visions that he has received is one of overwhelming wonder. St. John is so overwhelmed with wonder that, that here's what he does. He bows down in worship to the one who has revealed to him all of these things. Now, who is the one who has revealed to him all these things? If you remember the order of transmission, these visions are from God to Christ, to the angel who delivers them to John, who then gives them to the church, what we're doing today. But we have a familiar scene. We have heard this before and seen this before, haven't we? Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, before the angel reveals to John the great day of the marriage supper of the Lamb. John sees that the bride has been made ready and hears the blessing for those who are invited to this symbolic, that's important, symbolic wedding supper. Will there be an actual supper? No. This is speaking about intimacy, the way that one has intimacy with their wife or a very good close friend. So we will have intimacy with God. The point is that when the angel announces these words are faithful and true, John's response was, he says in verse 10 of chapter 19, then I fell at his feet and worked to worship him. Okay? Chapter 22, he's worshiping at the feet of an angel. Chapter 19, earlier, he's worshiping at the feet of an angel. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony is the spirit of prophecy. Now we have in Revelation 22, um, 8 and 9, virtually the exact same scene and almost the exact same words. John says, chapter 22, I heard and saw, I'm getting to a point, I heard and saw and fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. The angel rebukes John and says, do not do that. Now, there are some who would use an emphasis, do not do that, right? As if John did it again. You know, when your kids do something, you go, don't do that. And they do it again, you go, I told you, don't do that, right? Uh, I don't believe that is the way we are to read that particular verse. I'm going to tell you why. He goes on to say, I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren, the prophets, and those who heed the words of this book, worship God. It's almost the same thing that the angel said earlier. It would appear as though John has, has not learned his lesson. That there is something in John that is either overwhelmed with wonder to the point that he bows down and worships whatever's in front of him, or that John's still overwhelmed with wonder just really wants to worship angels. We have a couple of options, though. Or we have one more option. Option one, John is still overwhelmed, and whatever is in front of him, he just worships. Or John really is into worshiping angels. He really is into making an idol out of angels. Or John is telling us something that has already happened all over again. Commentators will make the point that John is sinning again, worshiping the angel again. I don't think 
That's consistent with the rhythm of this book. Does that make sense? Um, in the case of seals, trumpets, and bowls, we have the same tribulation told to us from a different angle. Remember that? In the case of Revelation 7, 11, 19, 22, 21, we have a scene of the consummation of the kingdom, the bride, finally perfected in glory, deified, saints beholding the vision of God. All of these are telling the same thing from a different angle. What I do believe is happening here is the scene of John bowing down to the angel is the retelling of his transgression from a different angle. Not that I don't believe that John is bowing down again to worship an idol. Why does that matter going forward? I think it matters because the command or declaration that is being made by the angel, which is left the one who does wrong still do wrong, let the filthy still be filthy, the righteous still be righteous, the one who is holy keep himself holy. I think it is evidenced by John. Meaning this. John is a true Christian. And when he has been exhorted, commanded, don't set up idols. John keeps that command. John doesn't keep making the same sin or committing the same sin over and over again. John is a Christian. He does not have a desire to worship anyone other than God. John does not have a thing for angel worship. I believe that this scene that is told to us is a retelling of what John formerly did rather than what John continues to do. Follow me. Offer false worship. Why? Because that's not what Christians do. And that's the point. John is showing by example what real followers of Christ do. They worship God. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And the one who is righteous still be righteous. This would seem like a strange command though, right? It's, it's almost otherworldly it, it appears. This apparent command given by God to Christ, to the angel, to John, for the church, seems to imply that mankind in general are called to keep being whatever they are. So if you're unrighteous, keep being unrighteous. And if you're a Christian, keep being a Christian. Because there's no hope for you to be anything other than what you are. I hope that you're following me. But this command is not really a command as much as it is a decree. A decree, it is something that God has declared to be so before the foundation of the world and declared will be until the last day. Don't get confused. By God's decree, certain men will be made holy and they will continue to be holy. By God's decree, certain men will be wicked or filthy, and they will continue to be wicked or filthy. Now, where's the background of this? The background of this is found in Daniel chapter 12, verses 9 through 10, where the angel reveals, in similar fashion, something to Daniel, and says to Daniel the prophet, this is what the last days will be like. Daniel is so confused, but the angel doesn't even bother to explain Daniel wants to explain this to me. Help me make sense of this. Instead, the angel says to Daniel in Daniel chapter 12, 12 verse 9, go your way. 
He says to the angel, I don't understand this. Help me make sense of this. And the angel goes, no, just keep going. For these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time. Daniel, this doesn't concern your day. It's why it's concealed. It just doesn't make sense, um, angel, whoever, whatever, whoever it was. And the angel says, it doesn't matter for you right now. It will matter later, but it's not for you today. But here's what will happen. Many will be purged, purified, and refined. But the wicked will act wickedly. And none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight will understand. He's essentially saying that there will be some who are purified. They will be made right. You will remember from our last sermon. Let, let, me, be, let me not go ahead of myself. When Daniel received the visions from the Lord, similarly by an angel, he was commanded to conceal them. Meaning that what he was seeing was not for his time, his age, his epoch. It was to be fulfilled in an age, in a distant age, in a distant time. But the angel tells John, I'm sorry, Daniel, that in that time, many will be purged, purified, refined. That is, there will be many who will be made holy. There will be many made righteous and they will be given grace to understand and to walk in righteousness. Those who were formerly wicked will be given grace to understand and they will be purged of sin, purified and ultimately refined. There will also be those who, in spite of what is made clear through natural theology, in spite of what is made clear to them through the signs of the time that the end of days is near, they will continue to walk in unrighteousness and suffer eternal punishment because of their hardness of heart. What Daniel saw as being in the age to come, John is being shown is the age that he is living in. The age when many, by the grace of God, through faith in Christ, are made righteous and granted new minds by which they know God. This age in which many... When the word of God goes forth, will have their souls penetrated, causing them to uphold the light of God's word, to be conformed and assimilated to the divine persons, and to be purged of all sin and perfected so that they might be prepared to behold the face of God. It is the age you are living in now. The age that Daniel saw was in the future is the age that John is saying you and I are living in. We are living in the last days. If, if that... Age thing doesn't make sense. Go back and listen to the last week's sermon. It will make sense for you. Just as there are many being made righteous today, there are also many who will remain unrighteous. There will be many who continue to deny natural theology. That is, they, de they deny the God who made them, Paul says. They will continue to refuse to give worship to the living created, the living God who created all things, and they will offer, offer worship to created things. Those who are truly righteous will continue to be what they have been made to be. Righteous. They will continue to be what they have been made to be. They will publicly and privately devote their hearts and minds to God. They will continue publicly and privately to grow in Christ. They will continue publicly and privately to yield themselves to the commands of God and seek by the grace of God to grow mature in God. 
This is the proclamation of God's decree. Let the one, let the one. This is the meaning of it. This proclamation from the angel is not that men can't be saved. Of course, they will be. But he is proclaiming by the decree of God, true Christians will be true Christians. And unbelievers will be unbelievers. The question of the proclamation is simply this. Who are you? It is a proclamation that produces self-examination. Who are you? The righteous will be righteous. Who are you? The unrighteous will be unrighteous. Who are you? My dad used to preach a sermon called, ready for it? Will the real Christian please stand up? He got this title from a 1950s TV show called To Tell the Truth. On this show, there were three people sitting at a desk. Among these three people, one of them held a certain occupation. Take, for example, maybe one of them was a doctor. But no one knew who the real doctor was. So there was one person chosen to examine these three people by asking them a variety of questions. The questions might be something like, what school did you go to? What is the greatest challenge with modern medicine? And questions like that in order to discover who is the one that is really telling the truth about who they are. Depending on the answers to those questions, the persons, person who was examining the three would get a sense of who's the real doctor. And at the end, the host of the TV show would say, okay, Will the, pre, will the real doctor please stand up? And all the three contestants were sitting and they would look at each other and some would, would pretend like they were going to stand. And then finally, the real doctor would stand up and the crowd would respond because they were also involved. They were also trying to guess who was the real doctor. And when the real doctor stood up, they would say, oh, I knew it was him. Or, oh, I, I, he had me fooled. Here at the end of Revelation, the Lord is calling out for this. Will the real Christian please stand up? He is, if you will, saying, true followers, where are you? True Christians, will you please stand and make yourself known among the 144,000? The proclamation that has gone forth requires for us to examine ourselves today and simply ask ourselves this. Am I really in the faith? There are some who have been called to God. And this call will be evidenced by the manner of life in which they conduct themselves. And there will be some who have not been called. And this will be revealed by the manner of life in which they too conduct themselves. Here's the point that the angel is saying in a moment. Because it's all going to be revealed in the end. The decree is that in these last days... True Christians will show themselves to be true Christians. And unrighteous people will show themselves to be unrighteous. Christ, who knows and sees all, will judge perfectly each man according to his deeds. Verse 12, I am coming quickly, the Lord says. My reward is with me to render, to give to every man according to what he has done. How do I know? That when the announcement is made, will the real Christian please stand up? How do I know that I will be able to stand and say, here I am? Let's go through an examination. 
Let's do that together. The Apostle Peter explained what the true Christian life looks like. And may God grant us mercy to be honest. To tell the truth. Would you turn to 2 Peter chapter 1? 2 Peter chapter 1. The Apostle Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. Those who are of like faith. And what is that faith? By the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ, our righteousness is in Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus. Seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. St. Peter is speaking to believers, those of like faith. He's speaking to those who have received a righteousness that is from our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we are in Christ, then we have been made righteous through the righteousness of Christ. Do you agree with that? We might say, yes, I agree with that. No righteousness of my own. All righteousness of Christ. That is the only way that I am right before God. Good. But through Christ, he has, and his divine power, we have been granted not some things, not a few things, but Everything pertaining to life and godliness. I believe that it is by faith that I am righteous in God. Good. Now, Peter says, you now share in a particular kind of life that is to be lived in light of your confession. The apostle explains that the Christian is not powerless, though. That's important. But that you have been given divine power from him who dwells within you. And we are partakers of that divine nature. We're partakers in God, right? It's not just you alone. You are indwelt by the divine persons who empower you to live a certain way. You are not powerless. The Holy Trinity dwells within the one who has received faith in Christ, resulting in righteousness and righteous living. We are not who we used to be. We are no longer powerless to sin and its influence, but now we have power to refuse sin, to turn away from sin, and to turn to Christ and walk in Him. We We no longer have a nature that has been corrupted by sin, but we are now indwelt by the triune God. Verse 4, For by these, all the things that I've mentioned and so much more, He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. We are new creatures, again. And because we're new creatures, creations, we have been endowed with power to live an abundant life. Here it is, of godliness. Now that may sound like a sermon you've already heard. Like one you heard last week. Like one you're going to hear later on this afternoon. But let me remind you of what I reminded you of last week. That I will always be ready to remind you of things even though you know them. And have been established in the truth which is now present in you. I will remind you of these things. Because if John was not concerned in repeating himself, then neither will I be concerned in repeating myself. We are new creatures in Christ. But Peter, he wants to pull that curtain back a bit further. Peter is saying exactly what John is saying in Revelation 22. For the man, if he has faith, The man, if he is a new creation in Christ, 
if he has really escaped the corruption of the world and its lust, then these things must necessarily follow as evidence. Do you see what Peter's doing? He's saying, faith, good. Uh, you have power. Yes, you do. You, you partake in the divine life. Yes, you do. Here's how you know. Verse 5. Now, for this reason, applying all diligence, that's key, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. St. Peter calls his brothers and sisters to walk with him as he walks with Christ, and the path that is before us, if we are in Christ, is first of all one of putting forth effort. The path forward is not auto walk. You ever heard of that auto walk? You may have never heard of auto walk, but it is most commonly found in airports, especially nowadays. There are paths that as you're walking through an airport, there's long hallways. And rather than you use your feet, you can get into something that looks like an escalator, except it's going um, horizontally. You'll step on it. It'll just take you. And you don't need to walk anymore. <laughs> this is great. I, I just It's taking me. It, it automatically transport, transports me across a long distance with little to no effort on my own part. I can just stand here. It's taking me. It's great. Another name for it is it's called the travelator. It does all the work for you. There are no travelators or auto walks in the Christian life. We can't just let go and let God. Rather, Peter says, that if in fact you have received a similar faith, resulting in righteousness, you have power. You have power to walk. What kind of walk? A godly kind of walk. It is yours. New life is yours. You are a partaker in the divine life of God. And he says... So for this reason, apply all diligence. Uh, the NIV says, make every effort on your part. Make every effort to supply to your faith or make every effort to add to your faith. You have faith, now add to it. How do I do that? Well, you work. It takes effort. There are no auto walks or travelators in the Christian life. You can't just expect God to carry you into holiness. He is empowering you unto holiness. Since you have power from God as one who shares in the divine life, he's really within you. Utilize that power. Apply that which is in you, faith, to help you live a morally excellent life. Morally excellent life. You ever people when you, oh, you're too godly. Oh, you're, oh, you're being, you're, you're being super Christian right now. You better believe it. And when I'm not, call me on it. When I'm not being super Christian right now, tell me I'm not. Because I'm called to do that. Make every effort to add to your faith. Make every effort. No, you can't just expect God to, to just do it with you doing nothing. God has called you. 
to share in the divine life. He has empowered you to obey. If your faith is truly in him, and if it is true, then you and I must continually, listen to this word, increase, grow, mature in holiness, knowledge, self. Let me say it slower. Holiness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and the sum of all these is love. The sum of all these is love. The, say, the sum of all of these is love. When you love, all of these things follow. Peter puts it last at this list. Paul puts it first at his list in Galatians 5.22. Peter would say, Amen, Paul. Paul would say, Amen, Peter. The sum of all of these is love. Because saints of God, <clears throat> I encourage you. To consider catechism question number 38. What is the sum of the Ten Commandments? To love God with all my heart and my neighbor as myself. And the sum of all these is love. These virtues must be present in the true believer. For they evidence that the believer is truly a believer. As Pastor Isaiah said last week. I can go into each of these virtues. But it will suffice to say. That they must be present in each one of these who has faith. Paul, or Peter continues. He says this. Second uh, Peter chapter 1 verse 8. For if these qualities, if these virtues, if this fruit are yours and are increasing. I, I, I um, big, big, bold cap that on my computer. And are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says these qualities must not just be um, periodically in us. We must not be only those of whom it can be said these qualities are visible now and then. But it must be said about us, not about ourselves. I'm getting better. Uh, I, I joke with Anthony whenever whenever someone's lying, they go high with the, the yeah, it's good, right? It, yeah, I'm getting better. No, you're not, right? It, it, maybe you are. It should not be said of you. Others should say it of you. You don't get to say of yourself, I'm humble. No. Others say about you, you're humble. These must not just be present in you, but increasing in you, in me, in us. This is what must be true of those who are truly in Christ. They are making every effort to grow and advance in Christ. They are more and more being fruitful in their lives and in godliness. Dear saints of God, may it be true of all of us that we are growing in these virtues, evidencing that we, in fact, have been indwelt, indwelt by the Holy Trinity. That, that when the call comes, will the real Christian stand up? We would not be bashful. We would not be uncertain. But that we would boldly stand and say, I am among them. God is assimilating us to himself. That we have been crucified with Christ. That it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And may by the grace of God, we examine ourselves. And ask God to give us grace to answer the call. When he calls for true Christians to stand. Here is what John is saying through the revelation of the angel. In the end, the truth will be revealed. In the end, 
the real Christian, the one who did not just hear but heeded, they will be blessed because their robes have been washed. Verse 14. Notice that the angel does not reveal to John that God washes robes for them. That's already done. That's a given. Your robes have already been washed for you. Here's what the believer does. Now you keep them clean. You've been given new clothes. Now keep them clean. You know what we say to our kids. My children are notorious. I buy them new clothes. They automatically want to wear them to bed. They want to wear them to dinner. They want to wear them outside. They're new clothes. Keep them clean. Let us rejoice and be glad. And give the glory to him for the marriage. For, uh, chapter 19, 7. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given. It was given. It was given to her to clothe herself in, in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. You've been given clothes. Now walk in them. Keep them clean. How do you do that? By righteousness. By living in godliness. It's how you show you are clean. They, they have been given robes. Now let us make every effort empowered. I say, there's dirt everywhere, but you've been empowered to keep it clean. You've been empowered to say no to the dirt, to say no to the filth. You've been empowered to not roll in the mud. Keep them clean. If you get a stain, ask the Lord to, to ask the Lord to forgive you, and He will remove it. He already has. Good works are not the basis for your right to the blessed vision, but you won't see God without them. John says, "Real Christians will be revealed." And they will have the blessing of being satisfied in God, who is the tree of life, and will be recognized as a citizen of the heavenly city, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close. But for the unrighteous, they have no place in the heavenly city. Now watch this. They have no place inside of the church. Verse 15. Outside are the dogs. Right off the bat. And sorcerers, now here the, here's kind of the category, and the immoral persons, and the murderers, and the idolaters, and watch this, everyone who loves and practices lying. Weird. Yeah, it, it's obvious, okay, those who practice witchcraft or sorcery, they're not going to go, they're not going to be in the new creation. Those immoral persons, those murderers, those idolaters, they're obviously excluded from the new creation, from the blessing of seeing God. But this verse is here for a reason. It is interesting that Satan has already been defeated. And here we are in chapter 22. The wicked have already been cast into the lake of fire. And here we are in chapter 22. It's obvious then that, that there's a different target here. In, in light of all of the, the new creation, the beauty of the church. John wants to say, but there are some hiding among you. That are living a, a, a double life. The Lord God whose eyes are like a blazing fire. Who sees all. Just before the final amen comes. He wants to warn the counterfeit believer. He wants to warn the one who is living a, a, a double life. That their deeds are actually not hidden but seen. 
and that they will be revealed in the end. What a warning. Just before the church says, come, come, Lord Jesus, come. The Lord says, but I want to say to those who are hiding among you. I see you. You you play hot you play spiritual hide and go seek with the church really well. They can't find you, but I see you. I know all of the hiding spots, the Lord says. Revelation twenty one, it's similar language, twenty one eight. But for the cowardly, the unbeliever, the cowardly are the ones who hide. The, the, the ones who hide are the ones who lie. They're the ones who are living a double life. He's saying the same thing over again. The, the abominable. It's, it's abominable that they would be living, attempting to live this double life in the church and in the world. They are murderers, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Here's what John is saying. Those who are turning your brothers over to the state, you are immoral. You are living immoral lives. You are giving worship to the pagan gods of Rome. For us, it would be giving ourselves to the idolatry of this world. John says you can't hide in the church. Because you don't belong there. Your place is in the lake of fire. We're fire and brimstone. Which is the second death. I just recently realized what we were smelling, Pastor Isaiah, at a job that we were doing recently. It was it was described to me at, at, a, at a job that we were doing. There's a job that we do. Um, side point. I don't know why. There's a job that we do wherein the water there smells um, like the worst kind of sewage I've ever smelled in my life. It was revealed to me that it's actually sulfur that I'm smelling. Those who hide have their place in the place that burns with fire and sulfur. I don't want to go there. 21st chapter, the list ends with liars. 22nd chapter, the list ends again with liars. But listen to the way he says it. Everyone who loves and practices lying. It does not say everyone who loves to practice lying, but everyone who loves and practices lying. Those who are living a double life. Those who are the the opposite or antithesis of the Christian who who gives himself wholly heart and mind to God, who shares in the divine nature, who grows in the holy virtues. These dogs, these liars, they're chameleons. They're shapeshifters for those who like to play among us. They live a double life. They are double-minded. And the scripture says a double-minded man is unstable in all that he does. They seek to benefit from the claims of being a member of the kingdom of God, but also they, they privately and secretly enjoy the benefits of the temporary joys of Babylon. It is why these counterfeit believers are called dogs. Throughout the scriptures, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Matthew, Philippians... Dogs were used to describe, you love them today. Today, you're, they're your best friends, right? In the scriptures, dogs were described as only those who were concerned about themselves. Only those who were concerned about self-preservation. The dog will do anything and eat anything as long as it can survive. 
He says these men living a double life, they do the same thing. Whatever gets them by, whatever satisfies them. They're not those who take up their cross and die daily. They avoid the cross at all points so that they might preserve themselves. They can't say along with true Christians, it's no longer I who live. They say, no, I'm living. I'm living for me. I'm getting all that I can for me. But in your face, they will say, brother, sister. And out in the world, they will say to them as well, brother, sister. Here at the end of Revelation, Jesus Christ, our great shepherd, warns those who attempt to hide among his people. The wolves that are mingling around around the sheep or sheep who have come in another way. The ones of whom the shepherd would say, how did you get in here? You look like one of them, but I don't. I know all of them as they come in, and I don't know how you got here. They cannot hide from his all-seeing eye. That's the context of the the seven churches. But it's also true for all, all the church of all time. We cannot serve two masters. We cannot live in the kingdom of God and in Babylon, that kingdom that will fall, that has fallen and will fall. It is both a warning and a stern call. I've already dealt with the warning. Now here's here's the stern call. Repent. I pray that that be true of that that not be true of any of you here. But if it is true, repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from the double life. You will be exposed in the end. And you will miss out on the perfect blessing of beholding the face of God. And on the other side, dear Christian, by the authority of God's word. If you can say about yourself, I have true faith. I believe in the righteousness of Christ. I believe that I am a partaker in the divine nature of God. I am growing in these things. I'm not perfect in these things. And that's not what what the apostle is saying. He's not saying be perfect in these things. He's saying grow in these things. If you can say, hey, I'm not perfect, but I'm growing. I'm not the man I was last year. And the man I was last year is not the same man that I was a year before that, or woman. I'm growing. I know I am. And praise be to God, keep growing. Keep being who you are, Christian, and grow in that. Turn to him. Believe. Turn away from a double life. Heed the warning of our blessed Savior. Outside of the holy city, the church, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it's for the dogs. It's for the wicked. It's for Satan. It's for his false prophet. It's for the, the harlot. It's not for the true Christian. And you don't have to go there. I pray... That, again, none of you meet this description of being among the dogs. But that when the call comes, will the real Christian stand up? That you will be among those who make up the 144,000 and you will say, here I am, Lord. And you will rejoice and you will give him glory. For he has made us sanctified, saved, and holy once and for all.
Let's pray.